Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Welcome to the Dance Science Podcast. I am your host, the Dance Scientist, and the Dance Science Podcast intends to build connections and drive discussion on how we can improve our field and make dance science more normalized. Thank you for being here, and please enjoy this episode. Hi everyone, thank you so much for being here with me today. Welcome to the Dance Science Podcast. I am your host, the Dance Scientist, and in today's episode, the Dance Science Podcast is going to have its second guest speaker. So I have Dinah Hampson here, and she is actually a physical therapist and she owns Pivot Dancer. Part one of this episode is going to be asking some questions that are really going to help us get to know Dinah a little bit more and her background in dance science and as a physical therapist, okay? So the first question is we're just going to have Dinah introduce herself to us, please. So first, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you very much, Maria. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this amazing resource. Uh, I am Dinah Hampson, and I uh, work as a physical therapist in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I actually was born in the United States and moved to Canada when I was just a wee baby, so I feel like I can cross border that way. Uh, I grew up on the east coast of Canada and then moved to central Canada when I went to school, so I, I danced as a youth and made the decision that my physical facility was not going to carry me where I wanted it to carry me in terms of my passion for dance, which was very much in the classical realm. And my body is more a physical facility for probably a contemporary form, which really wasn't my passion. So I made the decision to go to school and uh, use my brain for something else. And I thought uh, physio was really cool. Um, so I can tell you a little bit more about that journey, but basically this is where I am. So I run Pivot Sport Medicine in Toronto, which is a clinic, and I have a branch that's specifically geared for dancers and artistic athletes, which is Pivot Dancer. Awesome. Love that. So next, if you could just describe your journey in dance and what specifically led you into becoming a physiotherapist. My journey in dance was I loved it. I I was the kid who begged for lessons and literally begged. My my parents were not dancey people. Um, I was in a small community. There was limited opportunity for dance. I finally got them to sign me up at a it was like a community center dance class. And from the community center dance class, there was a teacher who had a studio. And so I was invited to go to the studio and I danced my little heart out. I became a member of a youth company. I transitioned into some professional or semi-professional musical theater and just loved it, loved it, loved it. But as my body matured and I went through, you know, puberty and kind of stopped growing at five foot three and my legs never got those three extra inches that I really wanted them to have. Um, I, I just knew it was going to be a struggle in a way that wasn't going to be positive and satisfying. So physio was was bubbling up as this profession that was in the medical sciences and 
wasn't a physician experience of school or lifestyle. I loved the idea of traveling. I loved the idea of working in movement. So physio sort of spoke to me as a science where I could apply my brain, but also my movement knowledge, which as a dancer, you will know is embedded within you in a crazy way that's hard to explain. You can you can look at movement and appreciate movement and also break it into little itty bitty pieces, which is exactly what physio does. Yes. So that's my journey into the physio world. Yes. It really imprints and weaves into everything and anything we do, no matter what career path we choose. And that's another reason why I started this podcast is because I want more awareness on all of the amazing careers that are out there for people. If they don't want to necessarily pursue dance professionally, there are just so many other options out there. So we need to be having these discussions more. 100%. And even for people who do choose a dance career, having that other interest and other passion, because a dance career may or may not last you a long time. Yes. And hopefully we will all live a very long time. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So having those other things, I, I think it's really important. So that's great. Yes. And then through your specialization as a physiotherapist, how do you see this contributing to the big picture of progressing dance science? Oh, I, so I am in love with this topic. I just came back this fall from the IADAMS or the International Association of Dance Medicine and Science meeting. And it's, it's such a fun group. And for people out there who are looking for an amazing resource that joins dance educators, dancers, and dance scientists, I would recommend, you know, looking into IADAMS, at least in the social media forums and internet, if you're not able to go go to conferences, Um, because it's it's such a wonderful, like melting pot of brains. And Where I see physio really fitting into the dance science realm is implementing the research. Mm, I love that. And right, because there's such wonderful research being done uh, and that has to somehow get translated to the population. And what I've found in the past going to these meetings is that you hear this wonderful science but you don't see it happening in practice when you go to the level of the dance company in the dance studio. And so perhaps the physio who's working directly with the dancers, if we could be the conduit Mm -hmm. between the dance science and the studio dancer, I see that as a very integral role. So really kind of what we're doing is we're normalizing this aspect of health and science within the culture of dance, which we know is a very steeped culture. (laughs) We know that change is challenging for all humans. We don't like change. We we like status quo. Mm -hmm. And I think dance, because it has this very steeped, rich culture, perhaps that makes change even more scary. Mm -hmm. 
which may explain why it's taken so long for the dance science to really start to push yes. into the practical application. So I've, I've recently kind of started quoting Aristotle. And, you know, we know, we know the world is round, yes. right? We accept this. You would never walk into a room and be like, no, the earth is flat now because science showed us the world is round. Mm -hmm. But when Aristotle said that, people said he was crazy. They put him in jail. Mm -hmm. They locked him up. They're like, no way. The world is flat. So change is hard. But if we can accept the world is round, mm -hmm. then I think we can start to normalize mm -hmm. dance science yeah. in the actual doing of dance and teaching of dance. So that's my hope. Yes, I really love that because I actually made a post once that said that the research is only as good as our ability to actually apply it. So what a nice way for physios to be that connector because honestly, without any sort of connector, it's sort of just research sitting on a page, right? It's just kind of sitting there. <laughs> so at some point is, we have to apply it actively. Absolutely. Yes, I agree. So yes. that's my role. That's what I'm going to put out there to all of the other clinicians. Mm -hmm. Be the conduit. Yeah. And I've gotten that feedback sometimes from conferences like that, that are really, really sciencey. And then people do feel that disconnect where they're like, okay, I, you know, I learned this really complex lecture about the hip, for example, but it's like, is it really relevant to my practice as maybe a dance educator? So I've definitely heard that. And I could see that too. I can see that as a real hurdle. Mm. Um, and, you know, perhaps the way that I look at physio, maybe unique to me, it is finding the kind of sneaky ways of getting people to do what I want them to do without them thinking it's hard or difficult or strange mm. or different um, they don't need to necessarily understand mm -hmm. what is happening from the get-go. If I can kind of convince them in a fun way to, to change a little bit, then they see the change, right? The dancer will see, oh, my range of motion is better. Oh, my ankles hurt less. Oh, I'm jumping better. They see the outcome. So the teachers will understand that something is happening. Right. I will understand that physically they're changing and then the dance science gets to be connected with the dance teacher yes. through uh, action. Yes. And then the dance teacher also doesn't have to wear all of those hats. Like a lot of teachers like to wear, you know, all the hats. They like to be the PT. They like to be the dietitian. They like to be the doctor, right? <laughs> when really their job should be really staying more into their lane, right? Which is tough. Um, you know, if we look again at the dance science, the dance science will tell us that the first person a dancer will talk to about a concern or injury is their dance teacher, not their parent, not their physio, not their physician. Yes. And, and so I understand that that places dance teachers in this role yes. where they're like, oh, my goodness. These students are going to ask me, you know, I, I need to say something knowledgeable. I need to be an expert, but I'm really a fan of the pit crew. Mm. I'm a fan of people working together yes. and talking to each other. Multidisciplinary. So 
I would suggest that if a dance teacher has the ability to be approachable to their students so that they are told, but then have that network mm-hmm. of specialists like me and you and, you know, that they can then refer their dancers to. Yep. Mm-hmm. Sometimes teachers think they're helping too. So it's, yeah, it's not always easy for sure. Yeah. So kind of moving along, what advice specifically would you give a student interested in pursuing physiotherapy? Because I really think it's important for us to be helping our students along that journey. 100%. And physio, I I think, is perhaps a popular choice for dancers who, like me, decide maybe they're not going to dance and are looking for something that's movement. It's a very natural fit. Uh, So I think the advice that I would give is, first of all, it's a very challenging program to get into, so please work hard in school. If you have a choice of I'm going to binge watch that TV series or I'm going to try and get an extra 2% on my exam, get the extra 2% on your exam. Because if you don't get into the program, it's really hard to ever apply your fabulousness Mm. because you haven't been able to get in. So please get in, which means work hard. It is unfortunately quite competitive. Um, The next piece of advice I would give is that once you're actually in the program and you graduate and you're like, okay, I want to do dance. I want to apply my passion. Wonderful. You should definitely apply your passion, but understand that it's okay that your passion is not your primary activity within your job as a physical therapist. It's okay that it maybe is your secondary because it's also important to make a consistent income, pay back your student loans, have a living, and you'll learn something from everything you do. Oh, yeah. So if your primary job is working with elderly folks who've had strokes or hip replacements, you will still learn from that. And that's so valuable because you join that with your passion of dance. And you now have this breadth of knowledge that you would never have if you stuck in dance. It's kind of like, you know, when we're talking about complementary training and we say your complementary training in dance shouldn't look or feel like dance. Mm -hmm. So professionally, for students looking to go into physical therapy, if they're concerned that maybe they're not going to graduate and find a position being a dance physiotherapist with a company, that's okay. It's actually beneficial to work outside of the thing that you know really, really well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so can, that would be my advice. Yes, I can personally relate when I got my master's in exercise science, you know, we were studying athletes 24-7. But now, over the years, I've actually seen that that experience made me more well-rounded. So, yeah, love that. So, from your specialization, what have you learned specifically that you wish you knew as a young dancer and why? So this is a really cool question, right? Because I think you need a certain perspective to look back and answer this. It's hard to answer this question if you're quite young. Fortunately, I'm not quite young anymore. 
So I have that perspective. Um, if I could convince every young dancer that they are in control of their destiny mm -hmm. and that they actually have the power to change and progress, mm -hmm. that would be phenomenal. Because what I, what I find with, and I'm sure I was exactly the same way, when, when you're young, your perspective is limited yes. to this very small slice of time. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody says, hey, you know what? Squats would be really good for you. Mm -hmm. You're like, great, I'm gonna do squats because I'm gonna jump higher and I'm gonna be fitter and my leg muscles will be more balanced and I'll be able to achieve that combination in jazz that I really wanna do for competition, right? That's the limited thinking box within youth. So if I could harness that and then get them to kind of think longer, yes. that not only are you going to improve your jumps and improve your combinations, but you're actually putting pennies in the physical piggy bank mm -hmm. so that when you're 40, mm -hmm. 50, mm -hmm. 70, hopefully we will live a very long time. Your bone health will be so much better. Your muscle health will be so much better. Your cardiovascular health will be so much better. Your mental processing will be so much better because when you do complementary training, mm -hmm. it changes your body structure. Mm -hmm. So it, you have to kind of get really wild here in your brain and, and think of your body as being made up of tiny, tiny little cells. Mm -hmm because it is, mm -hmm. but we don't see that. We, we see the big picture of us when we look in the mirror. Um, but if you can just imagine for a second, those tiny, tiny little cells, you're, you're changing the formula of those cells. You're yep. changing how they work together, how um, the body systems get to mature. So that's incredibly powerful, mm -hmm. right? If, if you can, Think like a think like a banker, right? And when they say if you put money away in a compound savings account when you're one, by the time you're a hundred, it's gonna be worth so much more money than if you start putting that money in when you're fifty. Right? So we we need to do this compound interest thinking yes. from a physical aspect and I have totally gone off on a tangent no, here definitely not. but <laughs> is this making sense because yes. I want if young people can feel and understand that they truly control the power not just to change what they're doing in the moment yes. but to impact what they will be able to do in the future even though they're not there yet yes so you're saying that it's going beyond what they're just currently working on in class, right? It's like, it's going beyond that développé that they're trying to, you know, increase the height of, right? It's actually surpassing that and it's actually going to affect their life as just a human being at the end of the day. Exactly. Yes. And that person may prevent having a hip replacement in the future, Yeah. right? That person may prevent having osteoporosis in the future. Um, there's so many good things that happen yeah. 
when you train your body systems consistently yes that's the thing over time <laughs> yes loving this conversation so how can we kind of give advice to this specific population when it really comes down to what they're seeing on social media right because yeah. there are some benefits to social media. There are some really amazing, truly a lot of amazing people to follow on Instagram. But as children, they're really not able to make those decisions yet, right? They just see the accounts that are, you know, you know, get your splits in a day, right? So they really have that limited thinking capacity. So what kind of advice would you give to them? Yeah, I, I think social media is amazing, uh, I mean, I, I own a business and we can talk about that more later, but it, you know, social media is an instantaneous way of reaching bazillions of people. Yes. So from a positive impact, um, you can, I, like, I think it's called Instagram because it's instantaneously this is my definition of instagram um it i don't know what the gram stands for but the insta part i think of is you are instantaneously accessing people you will never ever meet who are anywhere in the world who knows maybe it goes outside the world too i don't know um but there's a huge power in that yes and when you have good messaging and you want to share information, it is a incredibly powerful tool. The, the hiccup, like you said, is when you have a limited perspective and you're attracted to, you know, shiny, sparkly things, which I am. Um, the fast fixes, right? It's. I think we, 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 as a perhaps older generation, so parents and dance educators and dance scientists, we can play a really good role by bonding together, even if we never physically meet each other through these social platforms to have that consistent messaging going out. So when kids are seeing the get your slits in a day, that maybe they're also seeing this is how you would do it safely. This is how yes. you do it safely. This is, And they're like, huh, I've seen that messaging 10 times compared to the one time. Uh, and, and so I, I think we can try to actively manipulate the social media world by simply producing good, strong content yes. and, um, doing it together. Yes. Because, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I don't think we have to be uber concerned about pitfalls unless we're really encouraging those pitfalls. So if we're a generation who has enough perspective to know good, bad, and ugly, and we're not helping our young generation see that, then that's on us. Yes. That's, that's our bad. It's, I think it's our duty to help decipher mm -hmm. and produce solid content. I think, you know, if kids could find a good channel mm -hmm. 
And so if there's parents listening to this or dance educators who have children, you know, go into your channel, go into my channel, see who we follow. Yes, that's the best way because mm -hmm. there's a large community of us on Instagram. Yes. And then, and then it's easy. Yeah. And there's really only so much in our control at the end of the day. I've kind of come into terms with accepting that more. Like, I, I how much are we going to control? Yeah, but again, I think there's there's power in volume. For sure. You know, and uh, there's, the world is not flat, right? In dance science, the world is no longer flat. We, I think it would be extremely difficult to be a dancer or a dance teacher or a dance studio owner and live in a world where you don't understand that you need to lengthen through strength, mm -hmm. that releves repetitively are injury prevention for yes. the Achilles. Mm -hmm. Like we we know the science so well now mm -hmm. that if you're turning a blind eye to that, you're really doing a disservice not only to your dancers, but to you as a studio, because eventually the people giving the world is around information are going to win. And those parents and dancers will look for studios who are using evidence in their teaching. Yes. And that's one. And of that the will come through on their social media as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's one of the things I'm trying to do with my posts is kind of bring the science down for people a little bit, make them into like digestible tips that we can apply starting today. Right. Yeah. Perfect. It's like an appetizer board. Love that. <laughs> I love all these analogies, by the way. <laughs> I'm a bit of a queen of the analogy. I'm very visual. So my brain is loving this. My neurons are on fire. <laughs> so where can people learn more about you and how can they access your amazing resources? Well, I, I do love the Instagram and I call it the Instagram um, because it's visual, it's movement, it's auditory, it's fun. It should be fun. And, uh, you know, when you take dance science and make it digestible in an appetizer board, then kids who don't have that perspective can be like, cool, I get it. It's like a chocolate M&M. I can take that. Yes. I can digest it. Mm -hmm. So you can find me. Um, Pivot Dancer is a fabulous account. It's just at Pivot Dancer. It's fun. We do lots of highlights of professional dancers and community dancers. We always run programs where you can you know, access free stuff. So free classes, free swag. Um, it's, it's a really interesting community of people. And what I find fascinating about it is it's a following that's very engaged. Mm. So we're, we're not a social media community that has hundreds of thousands of people. I think we're, we're about, what, 4,000 something. Um, but those people never leave. And so they're, they're very interactive. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you message, you will get me on the Pivot Dancer Instagram and I will reply. Mm -hmm. 
it's you you don't go to a robot it's very much a come into my house and i will take care of you type social media platform i also have dina hampson uh which is at Dina Hampson. It's very simple. Dina is spelled with a H D I N A H H A M P S O N. And on that, you'll see a little bit more of the human behind the sport physio and the dance physio. You'll see that we really do live normal lives. And I think that that's kind of a fun combination to have a normal human um, who's a parent and a friend and likes playing in the snow. So uh, that's that's kind of a fun combo, if you wish. Otherwise, we have websites, so pivotdancer.com. Um, and I think those are the best places, really. Love that. Thank you so much. So kind of as a wrap-up to part one, if you just had to offer one tidbit of wisdom, and I know it's hard to zero in with all of the amazing things we've been talking about here so far but if you just had to give one tidbit of wisdom to your audience what would it be Mm. I think it would be that the small things really do add up Mm. and small things I, I, I think they can seem huge when you don't have a broader perspective on them And then when you get that broader perspective, those small things are, they don't seem as huge, Mm -hmm. right? They're, they're little. So if we allow the little things to add up and, and we get that perspective, um, I think the perspective will serve us well in understanding that a small disaster isn't a huge disaster. Um, a, A small win you know, is, is a small win. And if you add it to another small win, it's going to be a bigger win. And so wait, live, do the things, Mm -hmm. enjoy everything for what it is. And if it's a win, great, put it in the bank. If it's a lose, great, put that in the bank too, because they all add up to make us so much more fabulous throughout time. Love that. Thank you so much for that. All right, everyone. So now we're kind of moving into part two, where we're going to be discussing a little bit more specific topics here. So the first thing we're going to talk about with Dinah is why she created Pivot Dancer and kind of the story and purpose behind it. So I, as you know, I'm a registered physical therapist, and I've been working in physical therapy for a long time now, I would say, oh my gosh, at least 25 years. And I work with artistic athletes. I work with high performance athletes. So I, in my job job, I travel with athletes to major sporting events like the Olympics. Most people know what the Olympics is. And I've done a lot of work specifically with artistic athletes. So our gymnasts, our artistic swimmers, our divers, um, you know, figure skaters, um, because my forte and my eye has always been in dance. So I work with this population in addition to this large dance population. 
my clinic is a community clinic. It's not embedded within a school or a company. So I've always seen dancers from many different studios and many different companies, many different styles of dance as well, because I have this very varied population of dancers who will come see me. And what I noticed over time is that the patterns of injury have similarities. So sometimes those patterns can be somewhat studio specific. So I'll see a whole bunch of kids coming from one studio location and they all have shin splints. Interesting. Right? And so that will make me think what is happening there at this one particular facility, you know, is it that they just put in new floors and all of the kids are having trouble with this? So, and I've had this happen. So I call the studio owner and they're like, oh my gosh, yes, we had to move to a temporary location because our studio flooded and we've been dancing in a church basement. So as I'd be like, great. Can we put all the kids in their running shoes for a couple of weeks until we get back into the studio? So that would be an example of a group pattern. Mm -hmm. And then I also see patterns that really go across to many different studios. Um, And sometimes those are age related, for example. Um, It doesn't matter what studio you're going to if you're, you know, growing a mile a minute in a growth spurt, then those bones are getting really long. And if you're not doing the complementary lengthening for the muscles, well, then you're going to start to get those epiphyseal plates. So the growth plates in the bones, they start to pull apart because the, the bones are growing and the muscles are really tight. And so you get things like your Osgood Schlaters at your knee, your Seavers disease at your heel, your... Um, sending yours, Johansson, it's such a big name, at your patella, but those are all things where you're tractioning the bone. And so you see those patterns come at an age, right? Or, you know, with my older dancer, I'll say older in quotation marks, um, you know, I'll see things start to break down at certain ages, or, you know, with my primarily males who are doing lifting, their shoulders, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by patterns. Mm-hmm. And so Pivot Dancer was a way that I could try to help more dancers in more places mm-hmm. by giving information in um, accessible ways. Mm-hmm. So I, my theory was that if these patterns were happening all over the place in Toronto and Canada, then they were probably happening in other countries in the same way. So how could I kind of broaden my reach? Because I grew up in a small town. There was no such thing as a dance physio. And, you know, how do people in more remote places or you know, how do they access this good information? And so that's where Pivot Dancer kind of blossomed out of the Pivot Clinic. And, you know, the Pivot Clinic itself has the name Pivot because it's a change in direction, 
right? You, you change what you're doing and hopefully we change the injury status along the way. So Pivot Dancer kind of seemed like a good name and it's pretty self-explanatory. So the, the way that Pivot Dancer was conceived was how do we make this accessible to people who don't live in Toronto? Mm-hmm. Well, use the internet. So again, it was kind of like I explored this whole internet phenomena and I started making a library and drawing from my network of you know other healthcare professionals and dancers and, to make videos. And it's like, let's let's look at what are all of the exercises I would need to address an Osgood Schlater's or to address shin splints. So if I turn all of those into videos, mm. then I can make those videos accessible to anybody anywhere in the world. That. So that's really how Pivot Dancer started. Mm-hmm. Pivot Dancer started at the end of 2018, moving into 2019. So if, if you know your global history, you'll know that COVID hit March of 2020. Mm. And what was fascinating was when COVID hit, I had an online platform developed specifically for dancers. It was just a baby, but it was a big enough baby because it had a year for me to video these videos. So there there was probably about 300 videos filmed at that point. And then everything closed. So as you know, every single dance studio closed its doors. Mm every single dancer was left high and dry without a dance studio, without a physio, without a gym, like nothing. And my cohort of particularly professional dancers got on the phone and went, Dinah, help, what do I do? And I was like, well, I know this was kind of designed for, you know, developing dancers who need physio in remote places, but hey, like, why not? You can access this, doesn't matter where you are. And they're like, great, wonderful, I can do these. And they're like, can we do more? Like, could could you work with us? Could you do physio? And I'm like, Absolutely, why not? So we started doing virtual physio using over the internet. And then I was stuck at home just like everybody else. And so I I thought, well, I know these patterns and I can recognize that there are all of these dancers out there who need to move. So why don't we do some classes together? And why don't we use those classes as an opportunity for social interaction so that nobody's stuck in their kitchen by themselves for six months. And it was fascinating, Maria, because I never in a million years thought that I was creating a program that would have positive mental health aspects, Mm -hmm. positive community formation, positive evolution of a way to uh, deliver solid evidence-based care Mm. for a dance population on a global scale. Mm. But that's what happened. Mm -hmm. 
I love your story specifically behind the name because I was always curious about the name. So I really, really love that. And I also think it's important to note that in some areas of the world, dance science is a little bit more advanced than others, right? Like you were saying, you know, you grew up in a small town and you didn't really have access to these resources. So when you saw the videos as the answer, basically, I mean, what a way to make all of what you're doing more accessible. And just like you said, you know, bringing it right into the hands of people and delivering solid evidence-based information. I just love that. Such a great idea. Thank you. Love that. So let's just get into a little bit more about cross-training. So can you give us a little introduction about what it is first? Sure. Um, so cross-training, as I will define it from a physiotherapy dance science perspective, is the complementary training that you do to support your activity. So in this particular case, your activity is dance. And it doesn't matter what style of dance you do. That is your high performance activity. And if we think of ourselves for a moment as high performance athletes, because if you do an activity as often as most dancers do dance, you qualify as a high performance athlete. Um, you need to do training that supports your activity. And that's what we mean by cross training. We don't mean CrossFit. We don't mean um, take up another sport. You can absolutely do CrossFit or another sport if you wish, if you love them and they work well for you. But cross training for us is going to be defined as the work that you have to do to support your physical facility to do your activity, which is dance in a injury free, productive way. Right. Right. Because nobody wants an injury. Mm -hmm. I think kids don't think that they will get an injury, but our wonderful dance scientists have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you are dancing regularly, so most regular dancers dance about a thousand hours a year, you will get one injury per thousand hours of dance. Mm -hmm. It might not be a significant injury, but you will get one. And sometimes they are significant. So knowing that we can deduce with our fabulous brains that if we can prevent those injuries yes. from happening or from being big injuries, then you can keep dancing because the issue with injury is it makes you stop what you're doing or it makes you restrict what you're doing. And so if your goal is to do your activity, do dance and be good at it, go to your competitions, do your auditions, have the main role that you want to have, you won't be able to do those to the degree to which you would want to do them if you have an injury. Injuries are also really expensive. Mm -hmm. So avoiding injury is kind of my jam. So that was another tangent. Um, so that, that's what we mean by cross-training. We mean the work that you're going to do that is not dance, but it supports your ability to do dance in a healthy, happy way. Yes, because we know that class really only hits 
a certain threshold physiologically, right? It basically hits a ceiling. Oh, absolutely. The the research came out that your average dancer has the average cardiovascular fitness of your average 80-year-old. Yes, there's like, been this, studies. This is not on, cool. There have been studies on sedentary individuals where they've compared them. Yes, there have been a lot of comparison studies. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. So I we need to do better. We need to do better. And, you know, the cross-training is... I am very physically focused because it's my job. I'm a physical therapist, but cross training also is mindfulness. Mm. It's also, you know, your mental health, it's your dietary health. It's what you're fueling your body with. It's all the complementary work that you do. I like to think of the, the dentistry field because in North America, we have very strong dentistry. We, you know, we're known for our beautiful white smiles, you know, it's, we have great teeth. We have really good teeth in North America. And, you know, when you think about it, how often do you see a dentist? Like twice a year, three yeah. times a year. Yeah. But we have really embraced injury prevention and dentistry. We get our little babies, baby toothbrushes. We brush their two little teeth. And so, you know, as soon as they show up, we do fluoride in our toothpaste. We floss, hopefully you floss. I've learned that flossing is important. Um, but we do all of this stuff preventatively. Yeah, we do. The, so that's even... your cross training yeah. for dentistry. Mm -hmm. So um, we just need to make it normal that we do this cross training in dance. Now, what if somebody comes at you with the opposite argument, because I've heard this argument many, many times, that dancers already have enough on their plates. They're already stressed. They're already overwhelmed. They have, you know, a million school assignments a week. You know, how are they going to possibly add this into their crazy schedule? Uh, I have heard this before as well. Um, so here's the thing. If we're, if we're going to say the world is round, right, and use dance science, what dance science is going to tell us is that if we look at that schedule, if those kids are overwhelmed, they probably actually have too much dance. That's my stance as well. Mm -hmm. and, and that may not be a very popular thing to say to dance teachers and dance studios. So my method of broaching that is, is a little tender. And I say, okay, can we look at their schedule? We know from science that for approximately every five hours of dance training, they need one hour of cross training. Yep. And we know that that cross training needs to not look or feel like dance. Mm -hmm. So can we look at their dance schedule? And is it 15 hours a week? Okay. So we need to carve out three hours for our complementary cross training. Otherwise, what's going to happen is that overwhelmed, overworked dancer is going to be injured and they are not going to be able to be part of their comp team, of their recital. They're going to get frustrated and they're going to leave dance. So that's worse for a dance studio than finding a way to keep the dancer. That's my argument. Yes. Um, and parents 
buy into that argument as well because they want their children to be healthy and happy. Right. Of course they do. Uh, they it, When kids leave, and typically a lot of dancers will stop dancing when they finish high school, yep. so around age 18. And as humans, when you have danced until you're 18 and then you decide, well, I'm not going to be a dancer. I'm going to do something else. I've never set foot in a gym. I've been told that I can't run. I, I don't know how to play any other sports. And now my mental health is going to go into the toilet because I don't know how to do anything. Mm-hmm. Let's give them the tools. So those three hours for that 15 are so important to find. I get really creative. Um, I find ways that you can, you know, do five squats before you go pee on the toilet. Um, You can do your calf stretches or your toe rises while you brush your teeth. Like let's, let's combine the work together with things that you're already doing. And um, I have found more recently that my dance educators, and maybe it's ones that I've worked with for a while, but they're they're happy to add things into their dance class that are Mm -hmm. science-based. They're they're appreciating that the world is round. And what's really interesting, again, with Pivot Dancer is I've had studios who are like, wait, hold on a second. You have all of this on video? I have monitors in my studios because in COVID, all of my studios had to be transferred to working with my kids at home. So I have studio teachers who will log into their Pivot Dancer subscription, which is very incredibly cost affordable. It's less than buying two coffees a month at your local coffee shop. Wow, um, love that. And they, they pull up the videos in class. Mm-hmm. So they don't even have to be confident in what exercises they want to do that day. They can just be like, I'm going to use this five minutes for, you know, pivot dancer complimentary training. Yeah. And they pull it up. All of the kids do it. The teachers get to add corrections if they wish. Um, and, and so they're supplementing their own teaching content and giving themselves a little bit of a mental break yeah. um, by combining it into what the kids are doing. Mm-hmm. So that's a long answer to say, I don't buy the I'm busy argument anymore yes. because there's that's always not a priority time. Then. <laughs> Correct. We have to prioritize complimentary training. We just, we have to, yes. or our dancers are going to leave dance because they will be injured or they will be sad. And there are ways to make it fun for them, right? And approachable for them. Like you said, you know, sprinkling things in throughout the day. Making even exercises can be made to be a little bit more fun for that age to get them to, you know, want to adapt it, especially long term. One hundred percent. I um, I have one studio owner who offered a contest to her dancers over oh. the Christmas break. And she said, in order to enter the contest, you have to do a video 
from Pivot Dancer. So their, their comp students all use our program. Um, they just do it as part of their, their comp programming, which is a really cool thing to do if there are any studio teachers out there. Um, so the kids had to do one video a day. They had to record at the beginning of Christmas break and at the end of the, the holiday break. So we get two weeks here. They had to record the same exercise at the beginning and at the end. Mm. And then um, they looked at the logs to see if the kids were logging in every day Love to that. do something, mm. which was fascinating. There were so many fascinating things about this. A, that they did it <laughs> and didn't say, take two weeks totally off. Um, because then you know your kids are going to come back sore. They're going to be rested. And there is a place for rest. Mm -hmm. For sure. Active rest. I'm yes. a fan of active Relative, rest. Relative, yeah, rest, um, yeah. And we can talk about that another day. Mm -hmm. So, um, but they came back energized. Mm -hmm. And she wrote me a note and she's like, okay, I don't know. Can you check this one kid and see what they did? Mm -hmm. Because... All of a sudden, she's holding her turnout. She's lifting her leg higher. She's taller. She's got her stamina up. Like, is it possible that she changed this much in two weeks? Yeah, it is possible. And that can be the hard thing sometimes, too, when students, like on the flip side, if they don't see a quick change right away. And they feel like, oh, I'm going to stop doing these exercises because I've been doing them for a week. And my teacher said, you know, my my teacher said my, you know, jumps aren't higher yet. But we know that, you know, the first adaptations some t most of the time are going to be more neuromuscular of, you know, the brain patterning. For sure. Yes. So remember, we talked about changing your body on a cellular level. Mm -hmm. You're not going to necessarily see mm -hmm. what is changing in your body when you brush your teeth. You're not seeing that you're taking care of the plaque on your teeth and taking care of the enamel. That's okay. You just have to trust yes. the science. I say be patient and consistent. <laughs> be patient and consistent. I, oh my gosh, the bouncing ball phenomena of I've seen eight different clinicians in the past two months and nobody's been able to fix my knee pain. Oh. Well, you have the power to fix your knee pain. Let's stop bouncing around. Let's do consistency and find that cross-training program that is going to fit into your schedule to improve your current dancing and your entire physical performance through life. Love that. Is there anything else you wanted to add to this conversation about cross-training in general? Oh, I just have fun. You know, there's, we're in an era now where there's so much available, um, grain of salt, uh, you know, there's, there's some stuff available that I wouldn't necessarily recommend. Yes. Uh, so just, you know, go, go through what's available. And again, try and make wise choices, mm -hmm. make choices that are based on um, trustworthy people, trustworthy sources who do have a foundation in dance science. We're very easy to find. I promise I will video call you back wherever you are in the world. Um, we are that approachable. Yes, We're sure. not on a shelf somewhere. <laughs> And 
you know, so of the good choices that are available, find something that you like, find something that's fun, find something that's easy to put into your world. Um, it, it should not be like, oh, I have to do my cross training. How terrible. No, it's fun. I mean, I get up in the morning and do the pivot dancer classes because honestly, they're fun. They're as fun as meeting friends for coffee. And they should be fun at the end of the day is the point you're trying to make. 100%. If it's not fun, call me. I will help you find something that is fun. We also know too, to just talk about a little bit more cross training in general, we know that there are so many myths and misunderstandings still going out there. You know, we hear the myth all the time about female dancers that they will, you know, bulk up and that that's not, you know, they don't want, they don't need, want to look, I've literally had female dancers come up to me and tell me that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's so sad. Um, can we just, can we trust the science and the science tells us we're not going to bulk if we train smart. So let's train smart and use, use science as our foundation and create a whole future of happy dancers who are having fun, enjoying what they're doing and doing it for long periods of time our choreography is changing our demands of artistic ass you know our directors are changing Mm -hmm. um cheerleading oh my gosh look at cheerleading now versus cheerleading 50 years ago it's a completely different animal um artistic swimming it's entirely different now than it was 30 years ago yeah so we really can't compare we 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 have to change the way that we're training Mm -hmm to meet the changes in the performance demands and choreographic demands. We cannot train dancers the same way that we did a hundred years ago. You know, like the average competition solo these days has like acrobatic arts, you know, acrobatic elements. I mean, you know, basically combined with the movement, right? That's kind of become the norm now. 100%. So if we want to achieve those different results, we have to train differently. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a discussion to be had about that anymore, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So this is awesome because we're adding to the information out there that people can listen to and be like, right, I get it. I understand. Um, and uh, yeah, I could talk about this for days. So just don't don't buy into the myth. Find the information. There's enough of us putting easily accessible yes. information out there. 100%. And when you hear the same thing again and again, or if you're doing something and you're like, this doesn't feel right, use your spidey sense. <laughs> or I'm not seeing change. You know, I'm not feeling change. I'm not doing where I want to be. Then Then let's find a way to change it. One more question I had for you is what mm. age would you recommend to start cross training? Because this is something- Oh, that's a great mm-hmm. question. So um, the science says that children can lift weights. Mm. And by children, I mean any children. You know, uh, a two-year-old will squat perfectly and pick up their toys. Uh, so it, 
the weight has to be obviously appropriate to yeah. the size of human. Uh, what I find is that with pivot dancer dancers, I really need them to be over about 10 mm. to have the concentration and focus to, to work through, um, that cross training for yes. dance. And when you think about it, that's actually perfect within dance because dancers really transition from recreational to high performance or competition pre-professional yes. around age 10. Mm -hmm. So prior to age 10, have fun. If dance teachers want to put in basic parallel squats, parallel lunges, mm -hmm. push-ups, you know, um, planks, just a couple of little functional exercises so that the kids get used to doing cross training as part of their dance class. That would be fabulous. Mm -hmm. But I don't think they need to really think about um, adding in their cross training and probably until about 10. Um, and that's when we can look at the, the time frames that they're dancing and how that complementary training fits in. Yeah, I think that's a really great age just in terms of adolescence too. You're kind of getting them right at that sweet spot. That's awesome. That's perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Dinah. Oh, it was absolutely fabulous to talk with you and talk about things that I hold dear to heart. Yes. All right, I'm just sitting here soaking in this beautiful moment because I'm just really happy to be doing these podcast episodes. I was just feeling like I needed to connect a little bit more with people all across the world in the field of dance medicine and science. And really these episodes have been just filling my heart and filling my cup with so much joy. So I'm just really sitting here with a lot of gratitude today. We had an amazing conversation with Dinah Hampson today. And we're just gonna kind of go through and have a quick summary. So we started by her telling us a little bit about herself and her journey in dance and her upbringing and really what led her to the path of becoming a physiotherapist. She also sees physiotherapy as really implementing the science, right? She sees physios as the connector, right? They're like the glue to the large picture of how we're gonna take the research studies and take them right into the dance classroom. She gave some amazing advice to students interested in pursuing physiotherapy, right? She was really realistic in what to expect academically. We also talked about social media, right? How amazing social media can be for building these amazing connections with people all over the world, right? And they're instantaneous, right? So there are really so many benefits. And then we also talked about some of the negatives that can be with social media. We talked about where you can learn more about her and access her amazing resources. And then in part two, we discuss a little bit more about what she does at Pivot Dancer and why Pivot Dancer was born. And then we really got into discussing cross-training and we're trying to really debunk a lot of the myths that are currently out there. Thank you for being here with me today on this episode of the Dance Science Podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a review. 
You can also rate this episode and you can also send me a direct message on Instagram. Thank you for being here, friends, and I look forward to seeing you in my next episode.